You're listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org. Keep your Bibles open to Psalm 91, will you? And good morning. We're glad that you're with us today. If you're a guest, my name is Scott Mays, and I have the privilege of serving as pastor. On behalf of our church, welcome, welcome, welcome. 52 young men from Sea Drift, Texas, made their way overseas for World War II, 52. These 52 young men, all of their pictures were posted in a small church in the town of Sea Drift, almost now a century ago. Around 20 mothers would gather at least weekly praying for these 52. And as they prayed over them, they prayed the words of Psalm 91. They prayed what has historically been the policeman's psalm and the soldier's psalm. All 52 came back from overseas to set their feet on American soil again. Now, I don't think Psalm 91 is a rabbit's foot. I do think in the words of the soldier, he said, quote, well, we knew that we were in the hands of God. Isn't that great? If Psalm 91 is not one of your favorite psalms, I pray that it's about to be. Again, it has historically been linked to policemen and soldiers. Psalm 91 is the words of God when you feel the hot breath of evil breathing down your neck. How poised are you when facing anxiety? How are you doing so far in 2020? If you were to rank your poise level on the one to 10 scale, where would you put yourself? Are you a valedictorian 10? Are you flunking out of school at one? Well, Psalm 91 is a rich resource for when anxiety crashes on you. Anxiety can come from all kinds of directions. You don't need a pandemic. You don't need an economic shutdown for anxiety. You can be taking a test. You could be in a relationship. You could be in any of the fearful situations that we find ourselves in. To understand the richness of the psalm, you really need to go back to almost a century ago, shortly thereafter World War II. On the 8th of January in 1956, Jim Elliott and his four, perhaps his four best friends, were to go to Ecuador. And it was there that they were seeking to reach a violent tribe. You see Jim Elliott and his plane. It was on that day, the 8th of January, in the start of 1956, that these five missionaries, their lives would be snuffed out. It was their first encounter with this violent tribe of Indians. They'd been dropping off gifts by plane and hoping that the first time they talked to one another, good things would happen. But before the day was done, these violent Indian people had speared these five to death. Elizabeth Elliot wrote a memoir of her husband, the widow of a martyr and her, good, her husband's good four friends. Of all the words that she could have chose to describe their life, she chose the words from verse 1 of Psalm 91. She entitled it, The Shadow of the Almighty. Can I ask you a question? Why would a widow, and not just an average widow, but a woman whose husband had been martyred, 
and his good four friends, all five of them between the ages of 27 and 32, why would she choose the words of a psalm that promised to protect people against such evil? And there's a secret to Psalm 91. If you're not careful with it, you will treat it superficially. Of all the Bible passages in front of you, all 66 books, we know that there's only one place, only one place that we know of that Satan has quoted, and it's Psalm 91. Of all the places and all the locations, this great psalm, Satan chose to tempt Jesus in quoting Scripture, the one and only time that we know of, by using the words of the psalmist. There's a superficial way, listen carefully, there's a superficial way that you'll use this psalm and it'll rob you of God's intended comfort to you. But if you move past the superficiality, you will see a rich storehouse, a solid place to go to in time of refuge. Look with me together first in verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 91. And what we're calling this, we're to rely on God for our shelter. To rely on God for our shelter. Keep your focus, if you would, with me in verses 1 and 2. You're going to find four names for God there. In fact, the first name that you'll see in verse 1, he is called the Most High. Now, that really helps describe when all of his enemies come at him. We kind of begin to get a measuring stick there, do we not? The second name, do you see it in front of you? He's not only called the Most High, but he's called the Almighty. The word in Hebrew is Shaddai. He is called the Almighty. He is called the Most High. Then the psalmist goes on to say he is my God before he describes him as the Lord. That is the word Yahweh. Four names piled up in the vicinity of two verses. Maybe the next time anxiety rushes at you, my believing friend, you would bring all four names at recall moment. In fact, the four names are on top of four beautiful pictures of God. You see the four? They're all located in verses 1 and 2. The first of which, he's a shelter. The second of which, he's a shadow. Not only is he a shelter and a shadow, he is a refuge and a fortress. All four of those names and the four of those pictures are put together to show the richness of his great protection at us. In fact, let's look at verse 1. Let's dwell there for just a moment. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High. Shelter. It's a word for a secret place. Did you have a secret place when you were a kid that you went to? Placed out in the backyard. My dad built me a little place. Get away from brothers. Get away from sisters. Get away from parents and their commands. It's a secret place. Even the president has a secret place, Camp David. I mean, everybody needs one, right? We have a place in Colorado, I'm told, NORAD, where each of the two doors to get in there weigh 25 tons each. That's a place of refuge. It's a sanctuary. We think of refuge and shelters. We think of tornadoes. But for the genuine believer, the refuge is Almighty God. He is our Lord. He is the one whom we run to in times of anxiety. The Bible says he is not only our shelter, but look at the back end of verse 1. We will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. You know, if I were to start a new job tomorrow, I bet I would be shadowing somebody. Have you ever done that? Start a new job and you shadow somebody? You spend all day shadowing them? You spend all week shadowing them? Now, I can see your shadow from quite a distance. 
Evidently, the only thing that keeps me from seeing your shadow at a long distance is my eyesight. But if I'm going to stay in your shadow, I've got to get up close, don't I? I can see your shadow from a distance, but if I'm going to have you shadow me or I'm going to shadow you, we've got to be close. Mr. and Mrs. Believer, professing believer, how close are you to God in 2020? Could it be that your level of poise is directly linked to how close you are to God? If you're going to find protection, if you're going to find refuge from him, you're going to need to shadow him. Look at it carefully. He says, he will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I found that most people, if not all people, fear something. Did you hear about the hitchhiker recently? Hitchhiking along the road and finally found someone who'd pick him up. After a few miles together, the hitchhiker looked over to the driver and said, what made you pick me up? Weren't you afraid that I'd be a serial killer? Long pause for a moment. That's when the driver said, no, not really. The odds of two serial killers in one car was infinitesimally small. <laughs> we all fear something, do we not? I was shocked to discover that my childhood hero, Evil Knievel, was fearful of flying. Makes you wonder why he didn't keep the motorcycle on the ground all those years. One of my wife's favorite actresses, Nicole Kidman, supposedly is afraid of butterflies. And then to come to find out that even Augustus Caesar was afraid of sitting in the dark. Now, some of you may be afraid of a virus. Some of you may be afraid of being a new parent. Some of you may be afraid of a test that's upcoming this week, and you may have test anxiety. Tests of all kinds give us anxiety. Verse 2, I will say the Lord, my refuge, my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. Now, don't rush through Psalm 91. If it's going to be your favorite, you need to marinate in it. You need to hear three voices in these 16 verses. There's three here. And if you don't carefully look over it, you'll miss the three. The first voice that you hear in verses 1 and 2 is the word of a personal testimony. Do you have a testimony? Do you have that you could say, he is my God, he is my Lord? I love the fact that the trust in verse 1, it's a repeated trust. He didn't say, I trusted past tense in the Lord. He said, I dwell in the house of the Lord. So how does this work? Some of you come here on Sunday and you watch, but you don't participate. You don't experience it for yourself. You're in the house of God each and every week, but Christ is not close to you. and You're not close to him. You're on autopilot. How does this peace thing work? How do I become poised? How do I understand that the Lord can be my fighter and be the one who battles for me? That'd be important, wouldn't it? Well, one of the ways you do that is by not just praying when the pastor prays on Sunday, but spending all day in prayer. You can work and pray. You can drive and pray. You can take a test and pray. You can do lots of things and pray, make it an ongoing conversation. But imagine if you and I were in a plane together, not a commercial plane, but a private plane. And you sat in the back, and I sat up front with the pilot. The pilot looked over at me, and he said, Scott, would you like to take over? Would you like to fly this plane? Now, it's a sunny day. There's not a cloud in the sky. And I would say, absolutely. I would love to fly this plane. And all of a sudden, to your amazement, I take control of it. And the pilot says, you've got it. It's all yours, Scott. 
Let me give you a word of advice. Don't ever get in a plane that I'm the pilot. <laughs> Don't go there. Why? Because, see, the pilot, he could do it without me, but I can't do it without him. It's the same thing with God in life. God can do it without me, but I can't do it without him. I need him. It may look like I'm piloting this thing, but until I come to the place where I turn control over to him, that's the key. So rank yourself for just a second. One to ten, how's your poise level? What's it look like in 2020? Are you a valedictorian? Are you courageous? Are you a ten? Or is your 2020 look more like a one? A Christian has a unique poise in the face of anxiety to the Lord our God. We're to rely on him for a shelter. Secondly, we're to realize God is our ultimate, your ultimate refuge. He is your ultimate refuge. Again, there are three voices in Psalm 91. The first voice you'll see in verses 1 and 2. The second voice is beginning in verse 3. How do I hear, see those voices? Because you'll see it in the change of the pronoun. In verses 1 and 2, it's I and my, and in verse 3, he goes to the third person. He begins to speak of he. Now, what does that mean? Well, in verse 1 and 2, imagine rather than we were talking about God, we were talking about a product, and I said, this product really works. It makes my car double the mileage, and I can go faster. I love this product. But then in verse 3, I'd begin to say, you should try this product. And that's exactly what's happening here. He's giving a word of advertisement, if you will, for you. In fact, so powerful is this, I counted six different levels, six different versatile ways that God protects. Beginning in verse 2, he says, he'll deliver you from the snare of the fowler. And then he says he will deliver you from the deadly pestilence. And then in verse 5, you need not fear the terror of night. And then don't worry about the arrow that flies by day. Then in verse 6, again, he says, need not fear the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor lastly and sixthly, the fear of the destruction that wastes at noonday. This is a powerful, versatile, altogether insurance policy. He's got me going north, south, east, and west. He's got me front, back, right, and left. In fact, verse 7 to me, as I read it and reread it, is an apex of confidence. Sometimes those of you, you read through the Bible superficially and quickly, but you don't read through it with the emotion there. He says, look, a thousand will fall by my side, 10,000 by my right hand, but I will not fall. It will not come near you. Later today, and yesterday, every football game generally today has one individual, one player who encircles the remainder of the players. And he is a pre-game chant leader. I think of the old Baltimore Raven, the linebacker, Ray Lewis, and all of his animated ways that he would get the players together. Can you picture that? Can you picture the fever, the passion of it? Or think of this, of Mel Gibson in his movie Braveheart. Prior to the battle scene, he did not give a lecture on Latin, did he? He cried. That's exactly how I picture Psalm 91. There's a confidence here. He said, a thousand may fall by your side, 10,000 by your right hand, but it will not come near you. There is a confidence here. And where does that confidence from comes from? In verse 4, he gives us two beautiful pictures. He says, the first of which, God is like 
this. He says he will cover you with his wings. He will cover you with his pinions. It's the picture of a mother bird who's covering her chicks. Got her arms, got her wings over them. Rain and sun and all that might come at them, he's protecting. But no sooner has he prepared us for this peace that God might be a mother bird. On the other end, he says his faithfulness or his truthfulness is like a shield and a buckler. Now, you're like me. I didn't need a shield this week. I didn't need a buckler this week. Life's tough, but it ain't that tough yet. And I found out that that would be a piece of arm covering right here if I were in a hand-to-hand battle, that I could move in any direction. And then another piece would be more of an all-encompassing piece. God is protecting me with his truthfulness like a soldier, but he's as intimate as a mother hen. When I see Psalm 91 and it tells me that God is like one who covers me with his pinions, it reminds me of Jesus. One of the last hours that he lived, moving his way into Jerusalem, he said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you've killed the prophets, you stoned my people that I've sent to you, but I would love to gather you like a hen would her chicks and protect you. Within hours, they were to crucify him. Don't be, don't be like one of those who run to God for refuge. And when his agenda is different than your agenda, you say, no, 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 thank you. When I look at this, I see the power of it. In fact, I had probably read Psalm 91 at least 100 times in my life, but I missed something. And it's in the Psalm twice. I missed it 100 times or more, that word pestilence. It never, it never jumped out at me until the last week or so. Did you see it there? Twice. And would it surprise you to know that Psalm 91 has protected people, God's people, for generations, including more than a century, specifically with pandemic. Back in the mid-1800s, in 1854, in the city of London, in the district of Soho, some of you have been in that district, they had a pandemic that they were not aware of what was happening. They had a 12% mortality rate. Today, I'm told that our mortality rate with COVID-19 is 0.6%. That was 12%. 127 people died in three days. Three-fourths of the population within that district had made its way out. Florence Nightingale herself went to the area to take care of people. And John Snow, Dr. John Snow, who's now considered the father of epidemiology, began to closely trace and study what was at hand. They weren't aware that this cholera epidemic was due to contaminated water. But one piece in particular that stands out from that There was a shoe store, a common everyday shoe store. They put up a sign in the height of the pandemic. And the sign had nothing to do with the sale of shoes. It had nothing to do with the name of the store. Instead, the owner of the shoe store put these words up in verse 9. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High who is your refuge. No evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague shall come near your tent. Friend, God's people have ran to Psalm 91 for more than a century now. There's firsthand testimony of those who walked that streets and said those words gave us comfort in the midst of a pandemic that we did not understand. If you're going to move through life with poise and you have it available to you as a Christian, 
If you've named the name of Jesus Christ and you're serious about following him through the cross of Jesus, there's a poise to you. God can be your refuge. But here's the third and last. Remember, God isn't your rental. You remember a moment ago I warned you that this is the only passage that Satan had quoted? It's the only one we know about. Look at verse 14. That's the third voice. This is the third voice. Voice number three is none other than the voice of Almighty God. God says, this is the one I'll protect, the one who holds fast. Could I ask you on a Sunday morning to bring all of your brain cells and concentrate on the tense of a verb? I want you to see there in verse 14, it doesn't say held fast as if it's a one-time thing. It says it's a continual thing. He's holding fast. In fact, you can draw from verse 14 a line all the way back up into verse 1, the first of the three voices. You see it there? It says, this is the one I'll protect, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High. Again, can I ask for all your brain cells because I need you to understand that the tense of that verb is not one who dwelt, past tense, one time. This is a repeated dwelling. May I say and challenge to some of you today that many of you are seeking refuge from God and you're renting a hotel room overnight with him. That's all you want of God, but you want his refuge. Some of you have done the equivalent of renting an apartment for about a month or two. Maybe you signed a six-month lease when you were a teenager. Jesus was cool back then, but you've left Jesus. You've left all that, but you still want his refuge. May I remind you of the protection promised you. It's from the one who dwells, current tense. It's not one who's rent an apartment or rent a room. It's one who's built his house, built her house with God. It's a continual lodging. Verse 1 does not say who rents a room in the shelter of the Most High will continue to be in the shadow of the Almighty. Verse 1 does not say he who has rented an apartment back when they were in their early 20s with Jesus is going to get my shelter. None of that says it at all. It's the one who's currently make his home, his dwelling place in the shelter of the Most High. Many of you, may I just say and challenge you, you've left God's dwelling place for better dwelling places. You've traded out his digs for something that's more cool and more contemporary. But let me be a spokesman on behalf of God. Don't expect God's protection today for your den of iniquity. It don't work that way. Can I say it that way? It don't work that way. You want to build that kind of house, God's not promising to protect that. In fact, let me say it this way. Let me go back to Satan and Jesus. Because when Satan took Jesus to the tippy-top apex, the zenith of the temple, can you say it that way, the tippy-top? 400 feet above the Kidron Valley. I did a little research this week and found that that would be the equivalent of the fifth tallest office building in downtown Fort Worth. So there Jesus and Satan are. And Satan quotes Psalm 91, verse 11. Here's what Satan said to Jesus. God, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. But he omitted four little words at the end of verse 11. Check it out for yourself sometime later in Luke chapter 4. He omitted in all your ways. He drops that. Satan omits 
a crucial piece of the passage. See, Satan is always going to twist. He's always going to twist God's Word. In fact, when we look at that, we need to realize that if we want the angel's protection, we've got to walk the king's highway. But if you try to walk your own private, crooked path, you don't get the angel's protection. It doesn't work that way. If you want the angel's protection, then you need to walk the pathway of the king because it's along the king's highway that he appoints his angels as sentries, as guards. But see, many of us have taken our own path. Perhaps even our nation has done so. We've taken our own crooked path when it came to marriage. We said, you know what, this one person for life, that doesn't work for me. I've got a better path. So therefore, we don't always get the angels. We decided in business, dishonesty is the quickest path. And then we come back to God in the time of crisis. We've taken our own path. We say, hey, where's that Bible promise that you're going to protect me for that? Friend, you're presuming on God, and that's deadly. That's deadly. You say, well, the pastor says every Sunday about the grace of God, I can do whatever I want to. Do you think for a moment that Jonah, if you were a reporter and took a microphone up to Jonah, put it in his face, the prophet, the moment that he decided to go the wrong way and that big fish swallowed him and spit him out in the beach. Hey, Jonah, you going to do that again? He said, yeah, I think I'll try that one more time. (laughs) Jonah was stubborn and stupid, but he ain't that stupid. In fact, many of you are just like Jonah. And God was lenient and kind and merciful to you. But who's to say that the next time you intentionally mess up, that God's going to send a big fish or a whale? What if he sends a shark after you? You don't get to presume on God's tomorrow's grace and walk your own path. That was Satan's mistake. Pastor, I sinned today, I sinned yesterday, and everything's just fine with me. You're God. He's too merciful. He's too graceful. If you've been successful in escaping God's grace and doing wrong yesterday, why not give thanks to the grace of God and say with Jonah, I ain't ever going back there again. I'm never going to do that again. You may not find yourself in a whale's mouth tomorrow. You may find yourself in a shark's mouth tomorrow. And you may need to look at yourself and say, you know what got me here? My own stubbornness, my own sinfulness, my own stupidity. God is really kind and merciful for not punishing us. He's relented on so many ways. But that doesn't mean tomorrow that he may not strike up a fire, come after us. If you want the king's protection, you've got to walk the king's highway. Jesus said this, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Now, if you're thinking this morning, anybody thinking? If you're thinking this morning, you say, Pastor, uh, that Jim Elliott guy you mentioned a moment ago, he was walking the king's path. He did exactly what God told him to do. He went down to a group of people who never had heard the name of Jesus. He flew that little yellow plane. He dropped gift after gift. And the first time he encountered those violent Indians, they speared him to death. Where was God's angels for Jim Elliott? Where was the Almighty? Where was his shadow? 
Where was his secret place, his refuge? Well, I want to tell you what Jesus said. Jesus says to his disciples, but a week before he died, he said, this is what's going to happen to you. You're going to follow me. You're going to be delivered up. They're going to kill you, but not a hair of your head will perish. Did you hear Jesus? Somebody needs to raise their hand in class. What? They're going to deliver you up. They're going to kill you, and not a hair of your head will perish. Jesus, I think if they kill me, my hair is going to perish. See, Jesus is trying to teach us something. You can be breathing and not living. And you can be dead with Jim Elliott and his four friends and experience more of the Almighty than you've ever experienced by walking your own paths. Elizabeth Elliott would take up pen and paper and she would tell a generation that my husband and I, we follow the king's path. And even though he is dead now, He's never been more sheltered in the arms of God. Would it surprise you to know that Elizabeth Elliot went back to that violent tribe? The same group of people who killed her husband and killed her friends. And many of them embraced the Lord Jesus Christ. And some of the very men, years later, they would find out, who speared those five young men would act as second fathers to Elliot and others' children. They developed a compassion. They developed a love. In fact, one sociologist, a leading expert, said, had Christianity not been introduced to that group, they would have consumed one another because the violence they showed the missionaries was the violence they were showing one another. Had it not been for the grace of God and the words of Jesus, turn the other cheek and forgive your enemy, that violent group of Indians in Ecuador would be no more. And there they were, grown men more than a decade later, being a father to the very children whom they'd killed their fathers but years earlier. How does that happen? It happens when you experience Jesus Christ. There's a miracle, there's a supernatural miracle of when you experience his forgiveness. Have you done that? Some of you are on default mode. Your parents made a decision for you. You got wet way back in the day, but you've never experienced Jesus. Some of you are on default mode. You're just on autopilot. Because VBS, eight kids got saved and baptized that week, you jumped in with everybody else. You were popular that week, but no life change. Has your life been revolutionized by the grace of Jesus? The most important decision I've ever made was not June 18, 1995, when I married my bride. That was a good decision. It was a mighty good decision. But the best decision I've ever made was circa 1978 when I embraced the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. For God so loved the one, his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Today we want to embrace the Lord Jesus. Thanks for listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org.